Good morning, good morning, everybody. Oh, is anybody here? Can you say good morning, good morning, everybody? Oh, good morning, good morning. Someone helped me out. Well done. I'm going to move this because if I sit on it, I think it'd be a little ouchy. Well, who remembers what season it is? Can anybody remember? It is winter. Now, as we look forward to Christmas, what other season, a season of the church, are we celebrating? Back there, Leo. Advent. It's the season of Advent. And who remembers what the season of Advent is? Yeah. Yeah, having some patience. What are we being patient about? Yeah. We're being patient about the birth of Christ. We're also being patient about Christmas presents. But the reason we have Christmas presents and celebrate for any reason at all is because Jesus came as a little baby. Did you remember that? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Probably December 25th too, right, parents? Wink, wink. Now, we celebrate that he came once before because we're also looking forward to the fact that Jesus is coming back again to finish what he started and making everything peaceful and loving and wonderful all over again. Now, in order to celebrate this and to be thinking about it while we wait for Christmas presents, I mean, let's be honest, we do something like this, which is to have an Advent wreath with candles, and we light candles. Now, there's two that are already lit here. Does anybody remember what they stand for? Things that we celebrate while we get ready for the birth of Jesus. Right here. Hope and peace. Well done. They are Advent candles, Owen. That's right. And they resemble, so far, Advent and peace. Well, today, we have the special gift of having the real family with us of Julianne, Joe, A.R., and Ellis. And they're going to light the next candle. So listen closely so you can remember what this candle is. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. We light these Advent candles to celebrate this season of anticipation and preparation. Today, we will light the candle of love, acknowledging that the light that love brings to our souls and the way we are to be witness of Christ's love to the world. We anticipate Christ's return in this season of Advent, and today we honor the unconditional love that he promises as we actively wait. And here's a scripture reading as we light the candle. As the Father has loved me, so me, me so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command in this love each other as I have loved you.
May the love of Christ be found in you this day. Amen. Okay, kids, let me say a blessing over you as you go to Sunday school. So maybe put your hand on your heart, or you can even open up your hands to receive the blessing in front of you. May the Lord give you all curious minds to learn, soft hearts to grow, and ready feet to be like Jesus wherever you go with God's help and grace. May you know how loved you are by God and by your church family. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's go to Sunday school. Um, Emily, Cody just wanted to correct you. It's not winter. It's still technically fall. Come on. Okay. <laughs> just, you know, just wanted to get the facts straight for the children. <laughs> hey, friends. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kelsey Walega. I have the privilege of doing young adult ministry here at Grace Commons. I'm really excited to be here continuing our Advent season, a weary world rejoices, and I, I love Advent. I love that it's a season of waiting and longing and anticipation. And last year when Cody and I found out that we were pregnant with our first kid, well, we weren't pregnant, I was the one that was pregnant, um, we found out that Holland would be due right in the middle of Advent, and I was really excited that that would be situated uh, right in the middle of longing and waiting for the second coming of Christ, that this longing and waiting and expectation for Holland would be right in that season until about the start of Advent, and then I was done waiting. Oh, I was so over it, because if you've been pregnant, you know that by that point of pregnancy, you're over it. You're miserable. Everything hurts. It hurts to sit, Hurts to stand, hurts to lay down. Just existing kind of hurts. Every breath is hard because your lungs are pressed up and back into your body. You got little baby fists hitting your bladder. I had baby feet jamming into my ribs. I would look at a piece of food and get heartburn, wouldn't even have to eat it. And if we can all just be honest, I just wanted a glass of wine. That's all I wanted. I just wanted one <laughs> glass of wine. I was so over waiting and I was doing everything that I could to speed up the process so that Holland could come early. I was convincing myself that Holland would arrive early. So I was drinking the raspberry leaf tea, eating the dates, going on long walks. I was doing everything that your OBGYN will tell you does not work, but a quick Google search will tell you that it does work and you're desperate, so you'll try anything. And her due date was December 12th. So on this day last year, December 11th, because I had been convincing myself that she was going to come early, I remember reaching the end of the day where I still had yet to go into labor. And the dis disappointment was really starting to set in because she had not come. My expectation was that she would come. And so I was starting to sit with the disappointment of that unmet expectation. And then the next day came, her due date, December 12th, still no baby. And at that point, I just was so disappointed. Disappointed that I was wrong, disappointed that I was still pregnant, disappointed that I was still waiting. And as you all know, she did eventually come. Babies tend to do that. They do come eventually. She came on December 14th. And what I can clearly see now is that the waiting was worth it. 
Even if she came two weeks early, two weeks late, the point is that we had a happy and healthy baby girl, even if she didn't meet my expectation of coming early. Which, you know, she'll probably never meet my expectations always, but I love you, little girl. And I'm fairly certain that I am not the only one in here who's felt disappointed at an unmet expectation. The disappointment of waiting for something to happen that doesn't when you think it should or even like you think it should. And sometimes our disappointment comes from something small like thinking that your baby is going to arrive early. But I think often our disappointment stems from God not acting in our lives or the lives of others as we expect him to. We find ourselves waiting for God to act, but whether we realize it or not, we're waiting for God to act how we expect God to act. And more often than not, there is a difference between what we expect God to do and what God is actually doing. And in today's passage, John the Baptist had an expectation of Jesus, but Jesus wasn't doing what John expected him to do. John was in a period of waiting for Jesus to do what he expected, and Jesus was certainly acting and doing things in the world. It just was not what John expected. And my hunch is that Matthew recorded this unmet expectation and Jesus' response to it, knowing that as humans seeking to follow the way of Jesus, we would need to be reminded not to miss God is what God is doing because it doesn't line up with our expectations of him. So let's pray, and then let's see what God would reveal through scripture this morning. Lord, we are grateful to be here this morning, grateful for this season of waiting where we get to remember and celebrate your first coming and await your second. So Lord, would we hear what it is you want to say to us and teach us this morning? Would we have eyes to see and ears to hear? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 11, starting in verse 2 through verse 11. And so Matthew records this. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who's to come, or are we to wait wait for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And they went away. And Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So just a brief history on John the Baptist before we get into the passage. Before John was even conceived, an angel of the Lord appeared to John's father, Zechariah, and this angel told Zechariah that even though Elizabeth had yet to bear any children, he was going to bear a son to be named John. And his birth would bring about joy and gladness, and many would rejoice. 
And the angel told Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He would turn the people of Israel towards the Lord. He would prepare the way for the coming Savior. And when Elizabeth, pregnant with John, went to visit Mary, pregnant with Jesus, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb, just being near Jesus. And then John was born, and Luke records that he grew, became strong in spirit, and then was in the wilderness until the day he appeared to Israel. And last week, we heard Daniel preach on John the Baptist beside the Jordan River, preparing the way for Jesus. John was proclaiming that the kingdom had come near and all needed to repent. John spent his whole life prophesying about the one who is to come and preparing for the one to come, the long-expected ruler and savior of Israel. The purpose of John's life was to prepare the people for this coming Savior. His life was spent proclaiming that the kingdom of God had indeed come near, that the waiting was over, the Savior had come. But that was chapter 3 of Matthew. By chapter 11 of Matthew, John finds himself in prison. And Matthew records that John was hearing about what Jesus was doing. And so John sent word by his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who's to come or should we expect another? Are you our guy or is there someone else that's coming? So it seems like what John had been hearing about what Jesus had been doing has led him to question whether or not Jesus is the one to come or if he should expect another. So whatever it is that Jesus is doing is not quite lining up with what John expects of him. And what Jesus has been doing, Matthew summarizes at the end of Matthew chapter 9, by saying that Jesus was going about all the cities and villages. He was teaching in the synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and sickness. And then in Matthew 10, Jesus even gives authority to his disciples to go and do the same, to proclaim the good news and to heal and cure every sickness. What Jesus was doing was bringing about restoration to the people. He was shepherding them as the current government had not been. He was giving hope to a weary people. But these works of Jesus and Jesus' disciples seem to not quite be lining up with what John expects of him. This is not what he expected of the ruler and the savior that he was preparing for. The reports John was hearing about Jesus weren't lining up with the judgment of the coming one, that Jesus was to bring. Jesus' actions weren't lining up with John's prophecy in Matthew 3 of a winnowing fork used to gather wheat while the chaff is being burned in unquenchable fire. Jesus wasn't at all sounding like the messianic judge that John thought he had been announcing. So underneath John's question, it seems that what he expected Jesus to be is different from who Jesus actually is. What he expected Jesus to be doing is different from what Jesus was actually doing. Underneath John's question seems to be a bit of disappointment. And I wonder if below the question for John isn't just unmet expectations, but also a genuine question of if you're the Messiah, then why am I in prison? If you're the Messiah, then why have you not gotten an army together, stormed the palace, rescued me, taken your rightful place on the throne as the king of Israel, and busted me out of here? Jesus is not lining up with John's expectations. But as Daniel reminded us last week, don't miss what God is doing 
because it doesn't line up with your expectations. And so Jesus sends word to John and answers his question, and he says this, Go, tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. And this is just an aside, but I do think it's a little interesting. One of my seminary professors noted about this moment in Matthew 11 that it's interesting that nothing is said about what John's disciples reported back to John and how John responds. All weight lies on John's question and then how Jesus responds to it. And in Jesus' response to John, he's alluding to several passages from Isaiah, passages of prophecy that John would have certainly known given his line of work as the forerunner to Jesus. And two of the passages he's alluding to, one is Isaiah 35, which Rob read for us earlier, and the other is Isaiah 61. And in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, the prophet writes, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be opened, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. And then in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the prophet writes that the good news will be brought to the oppressed. And what's interesting is not only what Jesus is alluding to in these passages, but it's also interesting what Jesus chooses to leave out. Because in Isaiah 35, verse 4, just one verse before, the prophet also writes that he will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense, he will come and save you. And in verse 1 of Isaiah 61, Jesus conveniently leaves out the part where the prophet writes about proclaiming liberty to the captives and freeing the prisoners. So in Jesus' short answer back to John, he's saying so much by what he is and what he is not saying. He's telling John, I am the one to come. I am fulfillment of scripture. You can tell by my actions out in the world. Open your eyes and ears because the eyes and ears are being opened to those who previously could not hear and previously could not see. Lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, dead are being raised, good news is being brought to the poor and the oppressed. And he's also saying, but John, I'm not coming to free you from prison. I'm not going to storm the palace and break you free. And John, I will eventually come save you, but it won't be in the way you expect. And I have come with vengeance, but everyone deserves it. No one can handle it, so I will eventually take the vengeance upon myself by dying on a cross and in so doing, defeating sin and death. Jesus is saying to John, I will eventually rescue you. I will make all things right. I will take my rightful place on the throne. But John, it's not going to be in the way that you expect. Jesus is saying to John in the gentlest way possible, don't miss what I am doing because it doesn't line up with your expectations of me. So what I believe that Jesus is trying to get across to John and in turn us is that who Jesus is should be determined by what we do see Jesus doing and not by the things he isn't doing that we think he should be. Don't miss what Jesus is doing because it doesn't line up with your expectations of him. And then Jesus ends his answer to John's disciples by saying, Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And offense here is a Greek word 
that's scandalizo, and it just means to put a stumbling block in front of someone, to cause someone to stumble and to sin, to fall away from God, to cause someone to distrust or desert the one who they have come to know and trust. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is, blessed are you if you're not upset by what I'm doing. Blessed are you for not falling away when I do not meet your expectations. Blessed is the one who can accept me, the son of God, for who I am and not who you think I should be. And in this, it's as if Jesus is even admitting, you will be offended by me. You will be disappointed in me. I will not always line up with your expectations of me. But again, don't miss what I am doing because it doesn't line up with your expectations of me. And John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland, he put this verse in his own words, and he writes this, and I think it's beautiful. Blessed, happy, fortunate, so well off and at peace are all those followers of Jesus who, even when life is hard, when the dream is crushed, when the diagnosis is lousy, when they have more questions than answers and live in a fog of confusion and can't chart a way out, even then, they don't fall into sin. They don't walk away from God. Instead, they trust. They sit and wait. Whatever comes, comes. They are okay, happy even, because the settled condition of their heart is to live in reliance on the goodness of God. So then Matthew continues, and there's a turn in the story where now Jesus turns to the crowds. And this is verse 7 through 11. And he says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus here turns from answering John's question about who he is. And now he turns to the crowds to tell the crowds who John is. In the same way that Jesus was not living up to the expectations of John, in some ways, and some ways may have been a disappointment to John, It could very well have been that John was a bit of a disappointment to the crowds and not exactly what they had expected. Because if we look at it from their point of view, they've heard the message of John. They've heard that the kingdom has drawn near, that there is a coming one who John isn't even worthy to tie the sandals of. The one who has been long anticipated and expected to save Israel has arrived. This same guy who was announcing all of that is now sending his disciples from prison to ask who Jesus is, to see if he got it right. And the crowds may be thinking, what kind of prophet and forerunner is this that isn't even certain that the one he's been proclaiming is the right one or if we should await another? It's easy to see how John's questioning could tarnish his credibility in this moment. But here in these verses, Jesus insists on the authority of John's prophecy, and even declares that John is the messenger of Israel's prophetic hope. Jesus is saying here that John is, in fact, the messenger who will prepare the way for Israel's Savior. And because John is the long-awaited messenger, Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. 
And Jesus is alluding to a passage found in Malachi 3, where Malachi prophesied that the messenger would be sent ahead of Jesus to prepare a way from him. Prepare a way for him. And alluding to this passage, it seems to be that Jesus is pointing out that John the Baptist is not just a prophet. He's not merely just the messenger preparing the way for Jesus. John is fulfilling the scriptures just as Jesus is. Jesus is confirming to the crowds that they did not go out to see just a random man. They went out to see a prophet, but not just any prophet, a prophet bringing good news that the Messiah had come. Jesus is saying to the crowds, don't dismiss what John has been doing because he's questioning whether or not I am the one to come. It could be that Jesus is reiterating to the crowds, don't miss what I'm doing because it doesn't line up with John's expectations of me. And don't miss what I'm doing if it doesn't line up with your expectations of me. And even though he hasn't explicitly said it yet, if the crowds would hear what Jesus is saying and hear what Jesus is doing, they would be able to discern and understand that what he is saying and the acts he is doing confirm that he is the long-awaited and long-expected Savior, Messiah, and King of Israel. John's whole life was spent waiting, expecting, and preparing for the coming of Jesus. And in this passage, John finds himself waiting in prison, slightly disappointed that Jesus wasn't quite who he expected him to be. And in this Advent season of waiting and expectation for the second coming of Christ, waiting for Christ to reconcile all things, to make all things right, we live in a world where all things are not right. And our world is weary and we are weary. Many, if not most of us, find ourselves waiting and expecting Jesus to act in our lives, but finding ourselves disappointed that he hasn't done what we've expected. And in some ways, being a follower of Jesus seems to be one long exercise in waiting. The people of Israel waited hundreds of years between the prophets speaking of the one to come and the one to come actually coming. And then even though Jesus could have sent, could have been sent as a fully formed human adult man, he was sent to Mary's womb where he grew for nine months and then waited 30 years before he even started his ministry. And then he started his ministry, but then spoke of a second coming, which meant that even though the people of God had been waiting, they would continue to wait. And we've been waiting nearly 2,000 years for Christ to come again. So being a follower of Jesus means that we are going to spend a lot of time waiting for God to act and move. And we know all of this. And yet every one of us in here, myself certainly included, is shocked when God does not act and move exactly how we think he should, exactly when we think he should. God is more than capable of acting immediately, and he sometimes does. But God is just as capable of taking his time and making us wait. The line from the song we've been singing every Sunday is, you could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. So don't miss what God is doing, because it doesn't line up with your expectations of him. And maybe for you, you're in a season of waiting to be pregnant or waiting for a diagnosis to come or a diagnosis to be different, waiting for healing, waiting for the grief to finally subside, 
waiting for that job, waiting for funds to come just to make it through this month, waiting for a strained relationship to be healed, waiting for God to move and act and work in your life, just waiting. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like waiting's easy and you should all just be better at it. I'm also in a season of waiting and wading through the disappointment of unmet expectations. But even in the season of waiting, I keep going back to this passage, acknowledging that I am more quick to see what God isn't doing than I am to see what God is doing. So in your waiting and your disappointment, what is it that God is doing? And what do you need to hear and see that you currently are not? Don't miss what God is doing because it doesn't line up with your expectations of him. We're still in this tension of waiting for the second coming of Christ. But here's what we know and what we can cling to. Christ has come. God is at work. Christ will come again. And until then, don't lose hope and don't miss what God is doing because it doesn't line up with your expectations of him. Let's pray and then we'll continue singing. Lord, we are grateful that you do work and you are acting in our lives, even if we don't always acknowledge it or see it. So Lord, would you help us and remind us of that? Would you help us to hear what you're doing and to see what you are doing in this season? It's in your name we pray. Amen.